this morning we're going to continue with our uh, talk uh, we started last Sunday. How to be happy even though it's Christmas. <laughs> now Christmas will have a shorter service, as uh, Gail said, from 11 to 12. And we're going to make this as happy as we possibly can for you. We were bringing in some happy makers. <laughs> so uh, we want Christmas to be happy, but we'd also like for that time which comes up to Christmas to be happy. So let's talk just a little bit more about that, because I know that this is a difficult time for almost everyone. And peace is always a possibility in any situation. I know that doesn't seem true oftentimes this time of year, but part of the reason is that there is this conflicting message about Christmas. We have conflicting beliefs about it. We, on the one hand, believe that Christmas is the time for us to get we all believe this. This is our time to receive, our time to get, our time for other people to be nice to us and give us presents and understand without our telling them just what present we want. <laughs> and of course, they don't give us the present we really wanted, and so they don't understand us, and they've proved that they don't really love us. So it's our time to get love and our time to have a happy family. But as I said last time, how many people have a happy family? Uh, and on the other hand, there is the tradition of Christmas, the core of Christmas, the reason that Christmas came into being in the first place, and that is it is our time to give. Now, from the standpoint of our ego, this is indirect conflict. You cannot both give and receive at the same instant. And yet, on a spiritual path, we learn that you only receive by giving. But this is very difficult to learn. We, we deeply distrust this. And we think that all we really do by trying to give in order to receive or for our joy to come to us because we are giving or to have happiness in the giving, to confine our happiness to the giving and not the gratitude that we think should come from the giving. The problem is that we don't believe it and we believe that if we were to even attempt this, all we would do is become weak, sniveling, some sort of dirty, ice-caked welcome mat for people to walk over. And aren't they walking over us too much as it is already? And so we're not going to give. We won't be the first to give. Or it will be a specially calculated gift. The contradiction is made even sharper and more painful by the kinds of 
expectations that we all have at Christmas. So not only are we supposed to get the happy family, which we can't have, and get the right presents and all that, many of us, uh, well, probably everyone, has certain things associated with Christmas. I um, actually took down a few of these. I talked to a few people just to ask them what their associations with Christmas were. Because these can hurt us if they're not looked at. So there's certain things that we think have to be a part of Christmas. Christmas isn't Christmas without, and then we fill in our personal blank. And so not only are we supposed to be receiving in this in a more direct sense of people giving us things and catering to our every need and so forth. But also, there should be these elements in Christmas itself. This should also be our gift. I grew up... um, I found out that actually, talking to uh, other Texans... This last week, I found out that a lot of people, I don't know where this fruitcake came from, but there was a little fruitcake with, uh, it had little red, uh, I guess it's this this flower here. What's that, what's that, a poinsettia? had poinsettias on it and so forth. It was a wonderful little fruitcake, and we always got it every Christmas. And uh, one of the things that I had to realize was that Christmas can be Christmas, even though I don't know where that fruitcake used to come from, and there's no way I'm going to ever find out. I don't have to have the fruitcake. Um, I was talking to someone else who was telling me that uh, every Christmas uh, they used to go out and deliver gifts to the poor, that the organization was called the Goodfellows. It may be still in existence. And the Goodfellows would go out uh, they would go to the various churches. The churches supported this, and they would get the gifts. And then they would go into the poor section of town, and they would hand out gifts. They were so consistently shot at. <laughs> Every time they did this, that they finally stopped it. They realized that they were going to die doing this good deed. <laughs> um and wouldn't you feel like shooting someone who knocked on your door and say, uh, I know that you need this gift. <laughs> I'm here to help you out, you poor, miserable slob. <laughs> but that was a part of uh, the Christmas memory, do you see? That you... <laughs> Isn't it? Another one of mine was, uh, how many of y'all remember the aerosol snow that we used to have? Do you remember that? Do they still sell that? I have I don't see that anymore. What happened that we don't have that anymore? Um, my mother resisted the uh, decorator tree. I don't know how she did this, but I was always very proud of her that she came through. Do you remember the decorator tree stage? Everyone went through the white tree with the with the uh, red balls or whatever. You know all the different things that people did. They had to have a different kind of tree. And uh, the regular old green tree was just not right. But uh, one thing that my mom did, she decorated a beautiful tree, but she used this snow, and she used it very beautifully. And uh, so Christmas didn't... As I was decorating the tree uh, uh, with Gail and John, and 
we were, I realized that there was something missing, and it was the snow. And so I looked at it and asked myself, is this really missing? Is this really what I believe? There are these little pains, do you see, with every expectation that's tucked away there in the mind. And if you can look at it and ask yourself in your heart, do you really believe this? Then, very often you will see that you don't, and you then let it go. And the this feeling, this malaise of their not of Christmas not being right. Somehow it's just not right. You can see it's it's composed of these little uh, insanities. Or possibly there is something and you can provide it for yourself. Um, I speak a great deal at this church about the AA organization. And that's because uh, I've grown up uh, with so many people, so many friends, relatives, and everything else uh, who are in AA, and I have so many close friends who are in it, uh, that I I just have a, a great feeling for it. People sometimes think that uh, I am an alcoholic because I speak so much about it. Actually, I don't have that uh, allergy myself. Um, but I have found, and Gail's also found, that it's best if we don't drink. It affects us uh, in an unhappy way. Uh, it hurts my stomach and uh, makes Gail a little sick and so forth. So we, we don't drink. However, there is one time a year in which we allow ourselves uh, some alcohol, and that is when we're decorating the tree. Uh, then we have eggnog, and Gail makes the most wonderful ha homemade eggnog, you know, where you whip up the whites and you s put all the eggs in the... We get the Rancho Las... Did you know that there's a drive-in uh, dairy now here where you can get Rancho Las Lagunas? Uh, you just drive in and you get it through the... It's just like getting a six-pack, people, <laughs> really, you know. And uh, so we go, we get the Rancho Las Lagunas cr cream and so forth. And we put in a little brandy. Now, both Gail and I are mystery readers. And those of you who read the English mysteries know that brandy seems to cure everything. They're always giving it. And here is an old family recipe that we ran across. And in the, on the side of the uh, where the recipe was written was in, uh, in script was, uh, was this notation about this old recipe. This was in a cookbook. For cases of exhaustion. Now, you remember how they used to capitalize the important words? For cases of exhaustion with a capital E, colon. If case is not serious, half the quantity of brandy may be used. I want you to know in this recipe, the amount of brandy called for was one quart. We, we put in one cup. It seems to be sufficient. If case is not serious, half the quantity of brandy may be used. Give every hour in cases of extreme weakness! Exclamation point. <laughs> so I guess eggnog started out as a, as a medicine or something. I'm not quite sure. So one thing that can help, if you know that Christmas is traditionally a a depressing time for you, 
And if you aren't just going to suddenly find yourself waking up Christmas Day at, at a loss as to what to do, if you're not going to just once again be a victim of Christmas, it might help to make a list of your personal expectations about Christmas. Uh, tell yourself no one's going to see this, and then write down all the silly and the things that seem very important to you about Christmas, and then look at them. Say, do I truly believe this? Or, if not, can I do something about this particular one? Can I give myself this one? For that's perfectly all right. That is another way of walking around the ego's little booby trap. And then the third way, um, Gail and I were uh, visiting a school recently, and <laughs> uh, it was a uh, first grade class that we were visiting. And the kids had been given an assignment. They were all sitting at their little tables, and they'd been given a fairly complicated little assignment. They had to cut little things out, and they had to do letters and numbers and so forth. And the teacher was now sitting there, and the, and the little uh, children were, were queued up there, uh, and, and giving the homework papers to her. And she would look at each of the little papers and then she would give her comments on it. Oh, well, uh, uh, Billy, the, uh, the J goes this direction rather than that direction. And, oh, isn't that a good two? Oh, that's just a wonderful two. Now, be sure that you've got to always cross your T. This kind of thing. You see, she was making a comment. These kids were, I guess... This was not a, a public school, and so I guess these kids were probably mostly uh, five and six. But there was a little boy sitting right next to her, and I think he he to me he looked like he was about four, and he was facing out towards the room, and there was a lot of kids in the room. There was twenty five kids in this particular class, and every time she would make a comment about the J not being curved the right way or this is a wonderful two or anything like that, the little boy would say, so what? <laughs> and he did that with every single comment she made. It didn't matter whether it was a one, you know, if she was praising or what. And she must, I don't know, either she wasn't aware of it or she was a very good teacher because this went on the whole time. Remind me of the, of the court jester, you know, that uh, the, the king used to have. It was just marvelous, this little philosopher. <laughs> so that's a third thing that you can do. If you find that... Uh, <laughs> if you can't give it to yourself and you can't see that uh, it, you don't believe it, you can't let go of it in that way, then remember the little kid that says, So what? And possibly you can dismiss it with that. We must find a new approach to the material side of Christmas. I can't stress this point too much. If you will look directly at how you get yourself in trouble, 
90% of it is eliminated by that simple fact. Just a calm, honest looking, sitting down, seeing what the problem is, tracing it back, not asking yourself a lot of questions or doing a lot of analysis, but just stopping and looking and seeing what's going on and asking yourself, is there some way I can begin walking around this? Is there something I can do? Uh... I can tell you some of the things that Gail and I have done, and I'm not recommending these particular things. I'm just giving these as an example of things we've done to walk around the unhappinesses that we found were so prevalent in Christmas. These unhappinesses will vary for each person, and that's why I definitely am not recommending these particular things. But these are just examples. It's all right to take steps like this, even though you don't take any of these particular steps. One of the things that we did is we called every friend with whom we were exchanging gifts. And we asked them, this was, we didn't do this after they had already bought their presents. We did this during the year in a, in a, when, when people's mind weren't, weren't on, on buying presents and all that kind of thing. When they weren't caught, caught up in, in all the romanticism and stuff. And we asked them, uh, what would they think if we didn't do this, if we didn't exchange gifts, that we were seeing if we could cut down as many of these exchanges as possible because it was so expensive and so time-consuming and so insane. Everybody knows this. Almost everyone will agree that this is absolutely insane, what we get ourselves into, and it tends to accumulate. It tends to be more and more people. And, and the interesting thing is that the two people exchanging the gifts both don't want to do it. And so if you simply bring it up, many people will say, I think that's a great idea. And so we were able to eliminate many of these uh, sort of routine exchanges. There were some people who said, no, no, this, they just thought this was wonderful. We should do this and fine. So we just did that. And then there were certain people like relatives and so forth. We didn't even broach the subject with them because we, know it, we, knew, we knew it would make them unhappy just to even... Uh, to mention it. The second thing that uh, we do is that we only answer the Christmas cards that we receive. So we wait until the card arrives and then we immediately rush out and say, this cuts down on the, uh, <laughs> this, that we don't have a list of people we have to send out and so forth. And hopefully we get it out fast enough that they don't they don't suspect anything. So. <laughs> now here's another one that I definitely would not recommend for most people. You'd have to both be completely at peace about this. But for a number of Christmases now, Gail and I have not exchanged presents with each other. And this is a happy thing for us. It's simply one less thing to do. And we both feel very good about it. If you have a spouse to whom this is extremely important to receive gifts. And don't ask them. Look at them in your heart, and you know whether or not this is important. Then I wouldn't even bring this subject up. But that's just an, one more thing that we've done. Um, here's another one. Uh, this actually came from the uh, daughter-in-law of someone who attends this church. As a matter of fact, she came up after the Thanksgiving meeting and told me that she was so grateful 
for her daughter-in-law. And uh, we're grateful for her daughter-in-law, too, because she came up with this idea. This was for John's sake. We told John that we would never buy any present that was advertised on TV. (laughs) Now, we buy him lots and lots of presents, but we found that that was a very simple way of getting out of this because kids look at this thing like there's there's a Snoopy ice cream maker now or something and uh, you can it doesn't even look like it works on tv i mean this was so i mean the kids get uh, what looks like about an eighth of a teaspoon of crushed ice to into which they have to squirt this red stuff you know but the kids see it and there's all the music and everything and they think this is just wonderful so he's just accepted that. As a matter of fact, he calls us on it. He told us the other day, you buy Cheerios and Cheerios is advertised on TV. <laughs> now, as I say, I'm not recommending that, but it, we've turned out that it has greatly simplified. It doesn't cure all the problems, but it's greatly simplified this business of, oh, I want that and I want that and I want that because they've seen it on TV. And yet, at the same time, we can be very, very generous uh, and give him lots and lots of presents. Um, we are very careful not to watch uh, news items, news breaks, or read the papers during this season. There seems to be such a, uh, it seems to be an extra tragedy, the things that are reported. Gail and I have not listened to uh, the news or subscribed to a news magazine or to a paper for, I guess, several years now. But I even go to the extreme that when John is watching uh, one of the uh, Christmas specials or something like that, if I'm in the room and a news break comes on, I start uh, singing to myself very loudly until I can get out of the room. I don't even want to hear it, what's going on. And I realize that many people think this is absolutely appalling. Uh, Someone the other day was telling me about the war that we are in. I did not ask... When did this happen? With whom is the war? I did not call up anyone else and ask them, is it really true we're at war? Uh, to this day, I don't know whether it's true or not, or if we are at war with what nation we're at war. And I'm perfectly happy with that. Now, if I were in a position to do something about the war, then I would, of course, want to know about it. But I am not in position to stop this nation from fighting other nations. And it does distress me. And I cannot turn to God as easily. And I cannot meditate as peacefully. And I'm not as good a husband or father if these sort of stories circulate in my mind. And so my way of dealing with it is I just simply don't put them in there in the first place. Once again, I don't recommend that. You have to see for yourself whether or not Oh, there is this wonderful, there's a mystery. I would not recommend this to most people. It's a fairly violent mystery. It's called Eight Million Ways to Die. <laughs> Do you remember the old radio program that used to end uh, the city, uh, the, I forget, the something city has eight million stories. And, huh? Naked City. The old radio program. And it always ended with, uh, has eight million stories and this has been one of them. Well, in this book, written by Lawrence Block, he reads the New York papers every day, and he tells you what he's reading. And and also, it so happens it's a story about a man joining AA, having a fight whether or not he should do that. 
And one of the appalling pieces of advice he gets from, from his sponsor at AA is, well, then why don't you stop reading it if this so upsets you? It upsets him so much that he wants to go back go back and drink. Uh, and it, by the end of the book, he's seriously considering whether or not this is important for him to know about every murder, every rape, every robbery, every accident, every so forth that the news is usually uh, composed of. And the last thing that we do to deal with the material side of Christmas is we make it for our children. Now, Jordan is not old enough yet to even know what Christmas is, but John definitely is. And we do everything that we can to make this his time of year. Many of you, of course, don't have children. I know uh, one woman who takes presents to the children at the safe house, uh, the house for battered women. Um, and this she loves doing, and she goes out and buys them. There's many things like that that you can do. I know another woman who uh, wants contact with children, and she told me that she is driving every week to Albuquerque just so she can be with children. Uh, she just she babysits or does some nursery stuff or something there. And since she's not a professional, she can't get a job, but she wants to be with children, and so she does that. It's not necessary that you be with children, but if you wish to be with children, of course there are many ways to do that. But what you do want to do is to find a happy way to celebrate the birth of this very, very gentle person, this person who forgave everyone, who welcomed everyone, and simply pointed the way home for each of us. And so the deeper meaning, once you have put aside the insanity as best you can and dismissed the other as best you can, then the deep meaning, the deep gentleness of uh, Christmas can come into your heart. I want to read... You know, there's so many translations of the Bible now. Um, I've got a whole shelf of different translations. And it's interesting that in some of the more recent ones, with more manuscripts to look at, uh, more earlier originals of the, uh, of the various uh, books and so forth, to study... It's interesting to me that, that the more recent translations are gentler than the older ones. And some of the passages that I did not like in the Bible before because they seemed insane and cruel to me, I now notice that in the newer uh, translations, often they're very, very lovely. And uh, I can use them, whereas I couldn't use it in, in one of the uh, older translations. This one comes from several different... I would say it's made, made up mainly of uh, Moffat's translation of the Bible and uh, also uh, the Living Bible, Bible, which is called a paraphrased Bible. I'm not sure why it's called that because in looking at it, it doesn't look to me as if it actually is. It looks like it's a, a, transition, a translation, a direct translation, but it's possible that... Uh, 
I'm not sure why why he decided to call it a paraphrase. So I would say this is the two main sources of this particular passage I would like to read to you. It's from the first chapter of James, verses 2 through 7. Greeted as pure joy, my children, when you encounter any sort of trial, know that the sterling temper of your trust will always add to your strength. Think of your trust as a finished product so that you yourself may be finished and complete, lacking in nothing. Whoever does not know what to do, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without question, and without finding fault in anyone. Whenever you ask, ask with certainty, for to be conflicted is to be like a wave that is whirled and tossed on a wind-blown sea. Those who ask, but do not know in their heart what they want, will not think that they have received anything from God, because they will be looking for it in every direction at once. That kind of certainty, even during a season such as this, is always a possibility. You must begin, however, with the certainty that you are capable of. And we've spoken about this often here. Be certain that you are as peaceful as you can be. If you think of yourself as selfish, be certain that you are as generous as you can be. Be certain that you are stopping and turning to your father as often as you can. Be certain that you remind yourself of the truth whenever you know you can receive the truth in your heart. This is a preliminary kind of certainty. It isn't, isn't the certain, oh, I have to tell you, some months ago, uh, an attractive uh, woman came into the little office back there for counseling after the service, and uh, we talked about her problem, and uh, she was uh, crying, um, and um, so I uh, stood up, and I, uh, she had stood up at that point to go, but she was still crying, and I put my arms around her and hugged her, and she said, you're a rock. And I thought, gosh, maybe I'm not as in bad shape as I thought I was. <laughs> and almost as if she was reading my mind, she quickly explained that she was talking about my trust and not about the shape my body was in. <laughs> it is indeed possible to develop certainty and trust and sureness. And I can tell you that you will not go home. You will not know your father exists. You will not feel the peace of God without this certainty and trust. But you must start with the amount of it that you have. And one simple way to do that is to simply monitor yourself and ask yourself, am I doing the best I can? Is there anything else I could do right now? that I'm capable of doing. 
Make sure that it's, that it's something you're capable of doing, not something that's some sort of flight of fancy. Something you could do if you were further along, you think. But something you are capable. Could I pause now? Maybe not. Maybe you are so agitated at the moment that this is not a practical thing for you to do, and so you simply watch yourself a little bit longer, and you say, ah, now I'm strong enough to pause, or now I'm strong enough to say some words of truth. You just sort of watch yourself. You're actually watching your ego the way you might watch uh, the storm clouds overhead. You're waiting for a break in the clouds. This is the way you watch your ego. So you don't resist it, you don't fight it, you don't get into wars with yourself, but you wait for readiness, the way you wait for the sun to break through the clouds. And when you see even the smallest degree of readiness, then you give yourself the gift of a pause, of a turning to God, of a few words of truth, of a mental imagery that's particularly soothing to you. Whatever it is, of some nice thing, for example, that you might do for your body. This can be quite important at Christmas time. Since we do believe that this is our time to receive, then do nice things for your body. Not things that overindulge it and make it sick and unhappy and stir it up, but literally plan into the Christmas day little nice things like the eggnog that Gail and I allow ourselves to have once a year. Whatever it may be, it's okay to be kind to yourself. In fact, you will not be kind to other people until you learn that it's okay to be kind to yourself. And since you and I still think that we are a body, this is where you must begin is being kind to your body, being compassionate to your body, seeing what its limitations are, bringing it comfort. No, this isn't the comfort of the comforter. This isn't the peace of Christ, but it is a soothing of the ego. It is a casting of oil upon the ruffled waters so that your body settles down and your mind is more peaceful and more ready to turn to God. Now, what if you're alone? Let's just take that. I know that many of you are alone. Once again, don't be caught off guard. It is all right to plan out what you're going to do. This is such a difficult point to teach. It's, it's such a difficult point for people to understand. The difference between priorities and goals but you must understand this difference because both are essential you must not have any goals but the peace of God none whatsoever you cannot be happy you will not be peaceful if you have set any goal whatsoever I don't care if it's getting to a particular store within a certain period of time getting your nap, getting something that's on the menu, getting so-and-so to shut up, whatever it may be. If you set any goal at all, 
any goal at all, I promise you, you will not experience the peace of God until you've let go of the goal. The only goal you must have this day is the peace of God. It's to be here in God's presence this instant. To sink into God, to know only God, to want only God, to wrap yourself in God's blessing and love for you. Now, to experience it now, as if you've just had a heart attack and you woke up and they said, guess what, you're going to live. And you have this reprieve. Have you had that feeling? Have you ever come that close to death that you have a reprieve? You are present. Now you know what is important, even if it's only for a few days before you forget it because you have no real foundation to keep it going. Do whatever you need to do to remind yourself that God is in the present and nowhere else. Your blessing and your happiness is now. If you have to tell yourself, I'm putting my right foot forward, now I'm putting my left foot forward. Now I'm putting my right foot forward. Now I'm stepping over the curb. Now I'm tripping with my left foot on the curb. Now I'm picking myself off the sidewalk. Whatever the thing may be, then do it. Do anything. Because when you're in the present, you begin sinking into God, yourself, your home. And you will begin to feel it. But whenever you there is any tension... Whenever there's any sense of hurry, I promise you, you have set a goal. That is the telltale sign. A sense of hurry, a sense of rush, a sense of tension. That means you set a goal in the world. It is not the peace of God. Now, the tricky thing is that these goals can seem to be very worthwhile. I need to have my meditation. This is the time for my meditation. I need to get to the dispensable church on time. I realize many of you do not suffer with that particular <laughs> They will seem very, very worthy, do you see? I've got to read uh, my holy book, whatever your holy book is, so much each day. And uh, you're disturbing this, you think. But it is not the peace of God if it's in the future. If it takes the future to satisfy it, the goal is not the peace of God. Do not be tricked by your higher ego that quotes truth you see, and sets these sort of goals. Especially, you might want to plan for Christmas afternoon. Many people are excited enough in the morning or they're in a great enough state of terror in the morning that they can get through it but in the afternoon, it begins to set in. As that great yogi from uh, India that you all know, Yogi Berra, <laughs> said, Christmas afternoon is not over until it's over. <laughs> Isn't that what he said? So Christmas isn't over until it's over. So plan for the afternoon. Plan for the next day if you need to. Do whatever it is that's nice to do for yourself. Go ahead and have the kind of life you want. Go ahead and have it. It's that simple.
I'd like to talk just a few minutes about children. Now, I realize that many of you will feel excluded about that, but many of you do have children. And so let's talk just a moment, because the one good development is that children has become, I mean, that Christmas has become a time for children. And this is not too far off from the original meaning of children. I mean, the, uh, the, the <laughs> of <laughs> Christmas. Um, you will not spoil a child by giving it presents. This is simply not the way you spoil a child. You will not spoil a child by taking it to see Santa Claus over in the mall. You will not spoil a child by stopping your car a few minutes and letting it look at the lights on someone's house. This does not spoil a child. Look closely and you'll see the truth of what I'm saying. What spoils a child is a lack of firmness so that the child has no sense of safety. Children whose parents are in no way firm, who are completely permissive in the ego sense, do not feel loved. And so, of course, you have a few rules. What rules do you set? You set the rules that are important to your peace. And so you do not believe in the rightness of the rule. You simply see the necessity of the rule for your peace. If you think you see the rightness of the rule, you will misuse the rule and there will be anger behind it. See what you must have your child do in order for you to be peaceful and see how few things that is. And when you've narrowed it to the very precious few, then be firm, as firm as a banister on a stairway that keeps the child from falling over the stairs, as firm as the padding on the dashboard that keeps the child from bumping its head. You can be firm without being painful or harsh or angry. You must be firm without being painful or harsh or threatening or evoking guilt. Be absolutely firm. This sidewalk will not give way. These stairs will not give way. This is the rule. This is important to my peace. You don't have to explain that to a young child. Young children don't understand verbal explanations. They understand what you do, how you feel, how you are. This is what they understand. But you're that firm, and then the child will not be spoiled, provided you do the other half, which is you shower the child with love, not with permissiveness, with love. See what makes it happy, and don't be afraid to make your child happy. Don't be afraid to give it things. Now, of course, if it's, a, if it's having an ego attack in which it's very unhappy and it's just saying, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this, you don't have to immediately go out right there at the instant and satisfy the ego attack. As a matter of fact, that's a good place for a rule. When you hide, when you scream, when you whine, nothing happens. That's the rule. Because you don't want to teach your child that by screaming, by having tantrums, by getting into dark moods, that they can control the world because they cannot do it. 
And we all know people whose parents did not teach them this. They have no brakes on their ego temperament. Don't you know people like that? They have no brakes. They were never taught brakes. They really did think that a tantrum would work. It will not work. And so there's a place for a gentle rule, do you see? And so it's not that you buy them presents in the middle of an ego attack, but don't be afraid to buy them presents and take them places and do things that they think is wonderful. It doesn't matter if you see that eventually they will see that it's not wonderful. At the moment, they think Santa Claus is wonderful. Oh, there was this uh, one of the letters that was on the uh, Alan Thick uh, show that uh, my friend I told you about last uh, last Sunday had told me about the uh, little letters that he read was this it was a letter to Santa Dear Santa this is the last letter I'll write you because next year I'll be seven and I won't believe in you <laughs> so of course they're not going to believe in it you see but they're saner about these things this is actually possible for a child to do that. I think I'll believe in Santa one more year. <laughs> they can do that. Now, see what you don't want to do. Do you really want to have some sort of unwritten rule about how fast your child has to open the presents? Do you realize how many wars there are around Christmas trees? every Christmas, because the child isn't opening the presents fast enough. What about these presents over here? Because he's gotten real interested in this one over here and he's playing with his little toy, do you see? Do you really want to tell your child how to play with a toy? Does it matter if your child plays with a toy or with the wrapping? Does it matter? See that these things don't matter. Christmas is for them. Shower them with love. Don't bring up unimportant things, you see. So, uh, Santa Claus is, uh, you know, the original name of Santa Claus was Saint Nicholas. Now, you can see a wonderful thing that has come true about a saint and Saint Nicholas. And that is the truth that it is fun to be a saint. Let's look at Santa Claus just for a moment as a saint. Think of Santa Claus as a saint. Can you see how much fun Santa Claus is having? He doesn't get any money. He doesn't get any thanks. He doesn't even stay around for thanks. He just sneaks down the chimney, eats the little sandwich that the parents have put out because they don't believe in Santa Claus and it's going to be so cute when the child wakes up and the sandwich is half eaten and the glass of milk is half drunk. Did any of your parents do that? Yeah, that was the most magical thing of all to me. That proved it beyond <laughs> So there he comes with his bag of toys and he sets them out and so forth. Now, of course, there are these crazy songs about he's not going to do it if you haven't been a good boy or a good girl, that kind of thing. But that's not true, is it? No, that's not true. <laughs> If you were St. Nicholas, that wouldn't be true, would it? Can you imagine how much fun you would have? The fun comes from the saintliness of it. The giving part of it. Do you see how much fun it is to give? 
And so, let yourself be a saint on this day of the saint who ministers to all the children. I want you to close your eyes with me, if you would now, and let's have a little meditation about that. First of all, tell yourself how old you are, how long you have lived. Look back and see some of the stages that you've gone through. What kind of person were you at 14, 28, whatever it was? Look back. Can you see how far you've come? Surely you can see that you have come some distance. You are a little more reluctant to hurt people's feelings now. It distresses you a little more to be cruel. You are a little more sensitive to people, to their plight. Possibly you're just now beginning to see the plight of the elderly. The plight of the children who have no one to give them presents. The plight of the people who are sick and no one's going to visit them this Christmas season. Maybe you're more aware of that. Do you see how you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been aware of that just a few years back? Because just a few years back you are consumed with running after some career, fighting for some hopeless issue, calling out the names of the bad guys and being so sure you were right, and leaving no real peace in anyone's heart. You see how you're not that way so much anymore? And so, look ahead now. A year, five years, ten, twenty. Another lifetime, perhaps. Look ahead a little bit and see what you will be. This is inevitable as the spot that you have reached this day. You must reach this spot in the future because you have reached this spot in the present. See what you will become. See the kind of person you will be one day. And see how happy you will be being that kind of person. And then tell yourself silently in your heart, there is no good reason why I can't be that kind of person now. Because there is none. Be what you will become today. Make that resolve. It is your key to happiness. It is your key to a peaceful, happy, giving, blessing Christmas. To simply be what you will become don't be afraid to be what you will become. Don't be afraid to save yourself time. Be a saint. 
go ahead and be a saint. 